Welcome to the Randy Doyle Podcast. Chris, good morning. How are you? Good morning, guys. I'm doing pretty good. We got a special guest. We'll get in here in uh, in just a second. And uh, before then, um, wow, my mouth hurts. <laughs> Do you have a little work done yesterday? I had a little work done. You know, it. Yeah, uh, Eddie. Uh, Chris got tired of me, smacked me in my mouth, and I lost a tooth. <laughs> just, kidding. just kidding. But yeah, I had a, I had a, <clears throat> had some dental work done yesterday, and it feels good today. But last night was interesting. So, hey, uh, I've got a buddy of mine, Eddie, on today that we're going to go in. And I, man, Eddie and I met. We'll go into this a little deeper here in a bit. But um, it's been it's been a bit now, and uh, you know, it 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 when I when I met him, I knew he was a special dude. But then, uh, as I started, you know, social media. I don't know. If, yeah, I think social media was out, but it wasn't a really big thing when we met. But then, as I started watching his career, I saw who this guy was and what he was doing, and. Not only was a good guy, but damn, dude's got talent. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about that and just uh, go into that a little bit. But uh, okay, Chris, what's on your shirt? Got to ask. Uh, this is a new one, isn't it? The shirt. Yeah, I think I think I've had this one on before, but I I wore this one for Eddie today. You know, last week I had a Ferrari. Um, it's an F forty on my shirt. So this week it's a uh, sixty two uh, GTO. Yeah. So man. Nice. You know, it's, uh, but I think I've had, I think I've had it on before. So yeah. I, you know, my, my selection of Ferrari attire is limited. Right. Yeah. So is mine. <clears throat> you know, it, it, um, I got to get my shirts. I ordered a lot of cool ones just for you because, because Eddie, Chris can be a little bashful. So I ordered, <laughs> I ordered shirts that have different things on them just to get his attention. But, uh, uh, we, we've had a busy, We've been <clears throat> we've been slammed. I'm not complaining, but we've been we've been slammed a, 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 like a lot of people. And uh, last week we had our five day training. Uh, amazing class. I mean, amazing class. Uh, amazing people. Amazing relationships uh, sealed in. Uh, Chris came up on Thursday, and um, here's the class right here. Uh, we had two yeah, interns. Check these guys out. Yeah, we had two interns, so each one on the end. So we, we had uh, Steve and uh, Luis that interned, and then we had Josh, Jeremy, Samantha, Edward. Um, Edward, um, this guy right here in the blue. I can't. I'm going to point to it like you guys can yeah, see. Yeah, he's wearing the flex hat. Yeah, flex hat. Uh, 16 years old, Eddie. Wow. 16 years old. Yeah, and, you know, great family, and his dad. His dad, get this, his dad wants to go into business. And he, he honors his kids, you know, they're immigrants and they came here and his dad said, Hey, I would rather you get into something you really love at an early age and I'll wait. And his dad sent his son instead of himself. Wow. Is that cool or what? Very cool. I want to tell you the kid just hung with us. Like he was like, he was 30 years old, man. I mean, he put up with us I and mean, we were a lot more immature than he was. Uh, <laughs> you know, having fun, but, but, but he went with the joking and he did a great job and he, he listened to every single thing we, we, we said to do. He did, you know, to the 10th, uh, it's pretty amazing. So, but, and then, and the guys in the class really stood up, you know, as Josh runs a big operation in the Midwest, you know, Jeremy, uh, military guy, uh, that's looking at the, the end picture of when his military career, uh, comes to a conclusion. He loves cars and detailing. Samantha, uh, firefighter, uh, coming into detailing. 
Um, and then, and then Edward, this, you know, a teenager and just, man, he's got his stuff together. I mean, it was really, and, uh, and then our interns, you know, Steve's up in Idaho in Boise, Idaho, he's building a big facility right now. Uh, Luis, I've just watched him really change his entire life over the last year as profit points. He came to us training about a year ago. Um, and they just brought such a cool element to uh to the class you know as having two interns it was just it was you know our interns are awesome but to help them at that level it just it was a pretty amazing week pretty amazing week yep sounds like so hey let's pay some bills we want to thank pns for uh taking and sponsoring it and uh being behind us they always are so pns uh Rennie Dole, double black products uh reach out thank them uh, so chris let's go into eddie's bio he's got quite the bio uh, yeah. So, um, you know, Eddie's been, uh, he's been deep here. I'm pulling, I'm pulling up my notes real quick. So Eddie's been in the detailing business for well over 25 years. Um, his, uh, you know, it, it sounded like he got into it, uh, because his uh, father did body work and restoration work out in Miami. And, uh, that, that kind of, kind of led Eddie to where he's at now. Um, but uh his his detailing business um eddie actually help me pronounce your last name fusa fusa all right so so fusa's auto detailing it's a mobile service uh based out of fort lauderdale and um eddie has become kind of a ferrari specialist he's he's worked hard to build relationships with um collectors and stuff like that and he's got a focus on detailing preserving and restoring ferraris so yeah, that, did I nail it? You nailed it. <laughs> so let me, let me share from a personal standpoint. So Eddie and I were involved, or excuse me, Eddie was involved with a leather product uh, company that made leather products, and we were always we're all, we all, are always looking for premier you know leather products, right? So many many years ago, we lined up with this company, and they put us um, together with Eddie, and we had met at a show, and we we'd met at a couple different spots, but this guy was like. The things that he had done at reconditioning leather and these vintage Ferraris was mind-blowing, you know? So when I first met him, I thought, oh, wow, that's where he makes a specialty. Then I started following him to where I started seeing a lot of the a lot of the paint correction he does and 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 really recovery. I mean, he, he's taken some cars and brought them back and just they've been able to recover off of his efforts. Uh, he's a heck of a guy. Now, Chris, this is something you don't know. There's a small group, and every morning – uh, on Facebook Messenger, and it's and it's the only message I read every single day, and every single one that comes through. Eddie sends us a scripture, and I'll tell you, Eddie. There's the things I haven't told you is that there's days like Monday we had a tough day, and I'm going to go into that story. It wasn't funny. I won't do it on the podcast. But um, what lighted me up was two things: is that uh, stepping stepping in a rat trap. Yeah, it's quite yeah. And then Eddie's um. It, I got it was it was the right message at the right time when I needed that scripture, and so there's a small group he sends it out to. He's religious about it, and uh, it makes a huge impact. So the guy's got a massive heart, um, and I just I uh, I really enjoy his company and who he is, and he's a true professional, and he, he knows more about detailing than most people uh, would could ever dream you know of knowing, and uh, he's an honorable guy. So. So let's jump into it. So Eddie, introduce yourself real quick. Just tell us something about yourself. Well, uh, like Chris said, uh, I started the uh, detailing business at least 25 years ago where 
Uh, I mentioned that uh, to Chris when I wrote to him that I was, a lot of people didn't know that I was a medic EMT back in the days. I worked in Miami and uh, due to uh, an incident where our, and we were going to a 911 call and our ambulance got hit and I got hurt and it kind of ended my career. I was there like almost six years and I was not able to return back because there is a protocol when it comes to lifting people and patients and backboards and all that and I had to change careers and that was for me it was like oh my god you know all this time effort I love what I did you know being with people helping people at the worst moments saved a lot of lives a lot of deliveries you can imagine you know did a lot of stuff and uh I did a lot of volunteer work as soon as I got my EMT's license, uh, I became a state certified and national certified. That was important. Uh, you could you could be an EMT and work for the state, but you had to pass a test, which was a national test. That's the way it worked. So back then we had Hurricane Andrew, it hit, and uh, I wasn't working as of yet as a, an attendant or so in the, in the EMS. And uh, I started working, volunteering at the hospital in the trauma center. And they, they put me in this guy there. You know, I showed them my license. I said, look, you know, I'm a, this. They go, okay, perfect. We need you. So they put me right at the entrance of the hospital. And I said, oh, my God. You know, I, you know I've never really worked in this. So they just threw me out there with another nurse. And, man, we were doing all kinds of stuff, trauma, triage, and all this stuff. And I was like, wow. And I really liked it. And from there on, eventually I got hired. And I loved every second of it. You know, I saw people at their worst moments, at their best moments, uh, you know, being with people when they took their last breath, you know, being with an, an elderly person that their kids are waiting at the hospital and, you know, their loved one dies. Things like that, you know, like to pray with them, at least, you know, they're going to go and, you know, you're the only one in there that can hold their hand and, you know, at least in my case, you know, do whatever I can to give them comfort as much as possible. So I love that. And then I worked for our units. Uh, we took on a, a, a like a, a, a private transportation for the uh, Miami Children's Hospital. We were a unit specialized to transport like cancer patients for kids. And it was very emotional. I mean, it was not everybody wanted to do that because I mean, some of these kids would die. And uh, it was uh, it was pretty cool that parents would call our station and say, we want Eddie to be there, you know, for because our kid loves them. That was cool. And then you would get a letter, you know, which that was the worst part. You know, the parents writing to me, thank you for everything you did for my son or daughter or whatever. She passed on. That was like, oof. It was horrible. You know, get these little letters and it's like, whoa, that's pretty, pretty bad. But again, going, so jumping forward, I, I got, I lost that job and, uh, it took a little while before I kind of like, I was almost like in the, not that I was a realtor, I worked for a real estate company. And uh, I kind of started thinking through what's next, what's next, what do I want to do? And uh, that's when it dawned on me that I said, why don't I get into cars? 
And it was kind of like a setback for me at the time because I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, <laughs> washing cars. <laughs> Somebody has suggested, why don't you do mobile car washing? And it was kind of like an insult to me at the time, you know, I was like, oh man, coming from this to this. So it kind of like, you know, played in my mind and uh, I, where I worked, it's where everything really started. It was interesting because uh, where I worked, it was a, an amazing community. It was just building up, it was getting ready to blow up as far as it, it, you had, you know, like million dollar homes, yet the least expensive home was probably in the 300,000. Now, remember, this is way back, 20 something years. So now these homes are like crazy expensive. But the cool part about it was that all of a sudden celebrities started moving into specific area within that community. And I was working there and then I decided, well, I'm gonna start mobile car washing and the employees said, oh yeah, wash my car, this and that. And I would hand wax, wash, that kind of stuff. I'm just learning one hand and one hand with one hose, the other hand holding a bucket, that kind of thing, throwing stuff in the back seat of my truck or actually my car at the time. And uh, I started doing this in this community and then all of a sudden some celebrity came up to me, a famous baseball player that had just bought a house and he was renting nearby and he said, hey man, I see you do car washing. Can you stop by my house either today or tomorrow? And you know, I got like three, four or five cars. Like, yeah, sure. Went over there and then met him. He played at the time for the Houston Astros and started doing his cars everything went well and then everyone going down up and down that block residents right would always stop oh you do mobile car wash oh can you take my name when can you come by so now i start getting a lot of attention from the community and one thing led to another then the baseball player introduces me to friends of his from the chicago cubs from the Florida Marlins and this and that. And before I knew it, I was involved with a huge entourage of uh, professional ball players, football players, basketball players. And uh, I was like, whoa, <laughs> now I'm going to all these places, you know, and uh, it was pretty cool. Then I started just getting better at it and better at it. And mind you, as you know, I said, I was scratching my head all the time saying, man, you know, how can I make this better? I was kind of getting like, the same thing over and over, wash, wax, little polishing here and there, but yeah, not really using as much of uh, uh, machines, you know, even though I had experience with machines, but it wasn't a big deal. People, clients weren't really looking at the car, go, oh, my car is full of sports. Can you fix that? That wasn't their thing. Their thing was, can you just wash and wax it? And in the back of their mind, they're thinking, can you just protect my car and keep it clean? That's it. And I would be very good at that and try to find the best products. But of course, I had no internet. I had no computers. I had none of that. So I would go to Barnes and Noble and buy books. And I still have the books. And these books were like 25 years old. And I would sit there kind of like reading these books, the black and white pictures and this. And what is a paint meter? A paint meter back then, back then. And I, obviously, I couldn't afford that. It was like a couple thousand dollars just for a paint meter. And uh, not to say that now they have more sophisticated ones, but you could still buy a paint meter nowadays for, you know, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, 300 bucks to get you through, right? You would go fancier. But back then, I couldn't 
justify, you know, doing a $150 detail or $200, $300, whatever. Can't afford that. So I said, man, I got to make this more interesting. And uh, I started really dialing in on the books and reading. And, and, and I said, well, I really have to dive in deep into making a difference with paints. And that's how I started with the paints. And uh, as soon as I started using my machines and the knowledge I had and the little knowledge I had of products out there, because a lot of the products that were out there, honestly, I would have to go by body shops to see what they were using. Because you would think, well, you know, there's really no detailing shops around. So I had to find out what was being used at their level to see if that stuff worked. Yeah, because you know, so, twenty you go back that, that many years ago, twenty, you know, twenty-five years ago, hey, we didn't have forums. A lot of people don't right. you know there's a generation of, of of detailers that we didn't um we're kind of the, the the first we're the first generation of detailers to come up through that had had was old school but all of a sudden new school had to blend into it you know and so you couldn't go on and do all this research and there's a lot of small private small local brands some were good some weren't i mean so it was a real challenge with that now it's ironic i'm going to bring something up completely different change your glide path for a second is that you're around all these baseball players, you know, athletes, but you yourself in the last couple, you know, several years, you decided to make a health choice in your yeah. life. Yeah. So kind of, so tell, tell us, so you're working hard and then I'm going to go back into the business and bring you up to more modern day times. So you're working hard. I meet you. And then uh, you made a decision to do, do something that was pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, I decided to start eating a lot of, uh, organic food but i stayed away from a lot of other stuff like i don't eat red meats and that's just a choice not because i'm against eating red meat or anything like that uh i decided just to eat more healthier barbecuing more stuff chicken stuff like that more vegetables and just being very picky what i put in my body very picky and, and obviously fruits i've not tasted a soda or a beer for example in, in in more than three years and things like that not that i had any i never had urgency thank god that i've never to want to drink alcohol it, i was just never drawn to it and uh but anyway i know it could get you a big belly right <laughs> in some cases you do it a lot but other than that cubans in general you know the latin people we like to eat you know very greasy food right and fried foods that's where we're brought up you know we, we mom and dad are cooking you know what they call in spanish you know uh which is steaks breaded fried and, and you know rice and beans and pork so how much weight how much weight did you take off it was about 60 pounds that wow. i took off about 60. I, remember, I remember seeing you and i saw you at the next event yeah, at the next event, and it just kept. I mean, you kept just getting fitter and leaner, and it yeah. was amazing. Now, what did that do for your career? As getting healthy, what did did you notice a difference when you were working? Yeah. A lot of energy, more energy, for sure. Lots of energy, uh, and again, and I don't even drink. I've never drank energy drinks. I don't. I don't like any of that stuff. But I had natural energy, so when I go to work, 
I just take a cooler and just take some uh, chicken slices, organic chicken slices, and water, and perhaps a few fruits here and there, and that's it. I don't go out to eat. As a matter of fact, I don't even eat in restaurants I don't, at all. My family does, but I don't. I, cho I choose not to eat in any restaurants unless I know for a fact they're organic, and then I'll pick and choose what I feel that I should be eating to keep me healthy. And, uh, but it made a big difference in my performance. Absolutely. As far as, far as you know, yeah, I wasn't as tired. Uh, as a matter of fact, I would get home and I'd still be awake. You know, it was hard to fall asleep. I was like wired constantly. So I would find myself at two in the morning still awake. Did, like, did, you, did you find that it at all made a difference in the people you met and the relationships you built too? On that side, were they, you know, did, did they, they were anything there? They were just impressed. They're like, how'd you do this? How in the world did you, you know, <laughs> lose all this weight? And I didn't even exercise, not one time. I mean, my exercise basically was just hustling. Yeah. Work. That's about it. Works. I mean, I never lifted anything, you know, weights, didn't go to the gym. I don't have time to go to the gym. I mean, I have to get to somebody's house. I'm traveling, so I got to move around. So let's let's go back. Let's talk about the first Ferrari. When did you realize that, hey, I could I could kind of make a niche out of this? Um, was there a time where you just realized, man, I'm I'm doing I'm doing Ferraris? T take us to that point and uh, kind of quickly explain what how how'd you do that? And then uh, you know maybe somebody that wants to kind of has that idea of making a niche. Maybe it's a truck you know market in their market. It might not be Ferraris, but take us back there and kind of explain that process. Well, uh, people have asked me that kind of question in different ways, and uh, I always bring it to the same answer. And I said, you know, I always wanted to do something with uh, if I was going to work in the field that I was going to work in, it's like specializing as a doctor. I want to be a, a neurosurgeon, a cardiovascular surgeon, you know, whatever. Uh, I said, I want to work on a specialty of a certain car and learn as much as I can about that car. So this way, uh, perhaps in the future, people will come to me and say, hey, you've worked so much on these cars, can you work on my car? And what happened was that uh, I had the opportunity with one person that showed me their car. It was I remember back then it was like a 340, a 308, which is the Magnum PI car. Mm -hmm. and, uh, then from there, the you know 328s, 348s. And people, honestly, the 308 was one of the least expensive Ferraris you could probably own uh, at the time. I mean, you could buy a Ferrari. I was I was being offered those cars at the time for like twenty thousand dollars. I mean, that's how much you can buy one of those. <laughs> the problem with that was that in that time frame, people were not taking care. Most people would not take care of those cars because of the price, what it would cost to mechanically keep them up. And I knew how much it would cost. And I said, hmm. So I started doing things to the cars to kind of like cosmetically to give the car hope and then to open the customer's eyes and say, wow. I can't believe you've done all this without even painting the car. You know, you've done this to the interior, to the engine, this, this, and that. And that kind of took off and it got me in the door to meet other people with Ferraris. And then I started getting into another era 
I always love niches that I can do, and I think that it'll attract people. And what I mean by that, uh, some auto manufacturers, Ferrari had a, a started with cars like the 348s that the, I'm sure a lot of details on all this, or you guys seen this, because it happens to a lot of cars, not just Ferrari, Mercedes, uh, I've seen them in BMWs, Hondas, I've seen them in a lot of cars. The, the plastic parts, they get sticky. Yeah. Well, so one guy wants to take a client, said to me, hey man, do you think you can restore this? Because what this costs to re replace, it's mind boggling, you know, to replace all these parts in the car. And I said, yeah, man, that's not a big deal. He goes, really? I go, just take it all out, give them to me, give me a couple of days to figure this out and I'll restore them. Well, I figured it out. And as a matter of fact, I was so into it that I went to the school of SEM. Remember, you know, SEM school? Mm -hmm. Well, it's not a school. SEM is a company that makes painting products and all that. So I took a trip up there and I remember taking a Ferrari part with me and I said, I got to ask these people what paint, what kind of material this is, because I really want to dial it in. And that helped me kind of get knowledge of products to use and how to clean them and what paints to use. Once I started doing that, I was getting tons of boxes from all over the country that I remember my wife saying, are you going to stop detailing or are you going to start doing this? Because some of these boxes had like 30, 40, 50 parts in them because I learned wow. to master how to restore them because any little part could cost, depending what it was, three, four, five hundred dollars $500. And the problem was that it could go back to, because it's a paint known as soft feel paint. Mm -hmm. You feel it, it's kind of soft. And the problem with that through time, they just kind of like get sticky. Yeah. So I mastered that, and then all of a sudden, a lot of people on Ferrari Chat, which is a community of Ferrari owners, they started reaching out to me, mechanic shops, this and that. Oh, I know Eddie. You know, mind you, this is twenty something years ago. You know, this is like nobody really even thought of as much to restore that. And one thing led to another in different aspects of car of the car itself, and I started learning about undercarriages and. Uh, zinc plating, CAD plating, and uh, uh, wax undercoatings for that era, and which that was a big deal. And I said, I got to do this because nobody's doing it. No one. And every and my clients are saying, Can you do it? Yeah, I can do it. And they saw the results, and I just kept getting more and more cars. I kept the more cars that would come in, the better I would get at it. You know, you mentioned something really, you know, I'm, I'm about, I've got what I call my three pillars, you know, and, and one of them is relationships. And yeah. so you've worked with mechanics and upholstery shops and fabricators, yeah. um, even historians, you know, yeah. how, in your, in your, in your mind, how important is it to build those kind of relationships up within your community? And, and, and it really spreads. It could go in your case, it went nationally, internationally, but how important are those relationships? Oh my goodness. Without them, let's just say you're just going to keep doing what you're doing, but you're not going to, I don't think that you would get as much attention in a specific area. Mm -hmm. Like I said earlier, I wanted to be known in a specialty that people that knew people that own those kind of cars 
would hire me not only because of being a detailer, but also a person that can keep an eye on every aspect of the car and see what's OEM and what's not, because that's what people would want. They wanted to know is this clamp on this hose original. And I would get along with my mechanic and say, hey, is this original? And I would learn from them. Then I would get together with a historian and start to get together. When I say together, literally going in front of a car and learning from the historian things from the car. Is it original? Is it not? And you kind of take notes of that. And you go, okay, let me remember that. People that don't know, when you come into that level of car, yeah. that's massively important. It's yeah. massively important. You know, we're our, our friend Gordon McCall in, in uh, up in Monterey. You know, he can look at. Matter of fact, we walked into a building. This wasn't too long ago, and there was a there was a uh, a knockoff Cobra. And right. the second, I'm not telling you, the second we walked in, he goes, "Wow, that company really got the windshield raking completely wrong." I mean, I hadn't even looked at the car. The last thing I would have looked at was the, the the raking on the windshield, the angle. But man, it just stood out so much to him. And literally, he's like, God, can you believe that? And I was like, no. And I went online, and I started looking at an original one. And then when I looked at a picture, I was like, oh, damn, he's right. I didn't, yeah. know, that I didn't know the difference. Yeah. But you know what? now I look at Cobras, and I'm like, oh, my God, that raking's so off. <laughs> it's just so, it's, so, so now tell me about DPR. That's something oh. that you work with. So let's, let's talk about that. Yeah, so DPR came to me as the years went by and, uh, you know, the details of the car were important. You know, that's why I thought the D was the detail. You know, the details of the car, the disassembly of the car, and the discovery of the car, you know, discovering the car. So basically, when I'm hired to work, like right now I'm on a big project with an old Ferrari from the 60s. You know, I do just that. I do a discovery. I look at all thousands of pictures that I have on my portfolio. And I start dialing in to see, we know that this car is going to end up next year at a major event, which is the uh, Cavallino again event. So mm -hmm. as of already, I've started to do stuff to the car and I got to dial in the correct OEM. And that's the details. And then... The uh, P, I said, well, now I got to get involved in the preservation part of it. And for some guys, preservation can mean many things. But when you're dealing with unique cars that the owner, some owners really have no clue about how it should look or how it did look, it's two different things because people can change things along the way. And when you really bring in, again, talking about the kind of connections that have a historian and say, hey, listen, take a look at this. Oh, no, that's a knockoff. That can't, that, you know, the judges are going to see that that's incorrect. So the preservation of something is where we get something and I look at it and I say, okay, I got to make a decision for the best interest, not only of the client, but of the car, preserve the history of that car. Look, and there could be a lot of plating issues. And you got to kind of like have the uh, ability to say, should I or should I not? When to do it and when not to do it. Mm -hmm. And here's why. Because sometimes plated things in cars or painted parts in cars, uh, some people will just grab uh, a paint bomb, a can, 
and they black things out just kind of like to make it go away you know out of sight out of mind or they get some sprays and they spray in their stuff to make everything look shiny and pretty and all that well <clears throat> that doesn't work uh with at least with what i do and what i do is i try to make everything come together so like if i'm working on plating on a car i'm looking at okay how can i arrange this so that when a judge or someone looks into the car everything looks correct i can't just i could take it to my plating company and have this part plated it looks perfect beautiful the problem is what about everything around it are you going to plate everything now it becomes a problem because then everything looks too new so sometimes you you can do a lot of things that I've learned that hey man you know I found a clamp way down here never messed with perfect condition I'm going to clean it and bring it up up here and then get this part and just kind of relocate it because it's the same exact part and put it down here and if I want I can redo that part cuz it's not visual they can't see it so there's things like that I have to do the preservation part where I preserve and have a lot of patience and and do precise treatments to everything with a lot of knowledge and with a lot of uh, uh, people around me overseeing this as well, just to make sure that okay we all agree on the same thing here, right? Oh yeah, it looks perfect like that, and that's helped me win a lot of uh, credibility. And then the restoration part, which is the R, the DP, the R, uh, it includes like like. Uh, a lot of hardware, you know, again, going back, should I or should I not, you know, should I restore this or should I not? Same thing with the interiors. Should I dye this leather or should I not dye this leather? And I'll tell you right now that in the industry that I'm in, because some of the guys that have these very expensive Ferraris, they're always kind of like edgy about when you just say the word, we got to dye this. They're like, no, 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 I want to keep it original. I go, oh, wait, wait a second, time out. The factory didn't give you a piece of saddle without paint on it. You're not, <laughs> you know, you just can't show up at a car show and say, you could say it, but it's not going to look good. You know, it's it, the seat's already missing, you know, a ton of dot everywhere. So either you let it continue to go that route till you put a hole right through the saddle and then what you can't sit yeah you can sit it's not original not original your seats do not come from a manufacturer without dye with holes in it you know and even if you had a pair of shoes but the shoe costs you a thousand dollars but it has a hole in the bottom where it's starting to you don't throw away the shoe you go to a shoe repair and they put a new sole that's what they do or they dye the, the leather a little bit and i said look there's you hang out with a different level of client because uh i don't have thousand dollar shoes yeah, right. I got a thousand dollar ski boots. Yeah, shoes. Yeah, that's 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 you know, a lot of people don't uh, know that. I mean, I, I've even gone to clients, you know, we've done a lot of what you do with Ferraris, we do with aircraft, right? We've we've done it right. for you know, 30 years. And a lot of people on these collector aircraft, they you know, there's some aircraft you work with with that original patina, you don't want to screw with it. But then again, like in the seat side of things. Man, make it look good. It's still the original seats. You're just going to make it look factory correct, you know? And a lot of detailers don't get that, or they want to remove patina from paint or from, right. you know, they want to they want to take stainless and polish it out where that was never polished out. That is before, correct. You know? And, and you know, you got to look at the long-term 
the long-term life of that vehicle. It's going to, a lot of these vehicles are going to go on way after we're our time, you know, it, and you never know what's going to become valuable. You know, um, you just, you just don't, you just don't, you see cars now. I mean, back when I was young, a Porsche 912 RS. Yeah. yeah. Well, a 912 was, was cool. A 912 RS was only a little bit cooler. Yeah. And it was only a little bit more, but if you can find a, Porsche 912 RS right now, Chris. What are those things going for? You know, in good shape. Oh, it, well, I think I think Porsches in general have gone through the roof since then. Yeah. You know, oh, our, our old Boxster, our old Boxster S over here that we've had for you know seven years has doubled, tripled in price. You know, practically. You know, it's, yeah, it's even, even the little 914s. You got to uh, you you got to save up uh, your pennies for these days. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So, so I love that. And you know what I love, Eddie, what you've done is you really, you did what I think in, you're in the right market for it, is you just created your niche and you just created such an opportunity for you and your family. And it's pretty amazing. So let's take away some, uh, let's do a little break real quick. Some takeaways. Okay. Um, he's brought to you by Flex and check out uh, some of the Flex. We've got amazing tools. Matter of fact, I'm going to take you guys for a little tour. I'm going to pick up my computer. But Eddie, you got to stay with us. So um, this is probably something that I'm most impressed with. This is their um, this is their new vacuum cleaner that's battery powered. The thing's just unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable. They've got a work box uh, now that's here. Uh, you come over and we've got there's the vacuum again, but new lighting systems. You know, we use a lot of power drills uh, for cleaning windows and so forth. And it's brushless. It's brushless products. Uh, and it's pretty amazing uh, of what they've done. So I we want what those those little vacuums are super cool. Like when we were at McCall's, you know, just you know, touching up cars in the morning for the car yeah. show. Yeah, um, it's awesome to have that battery powered vacuum. Just you know, do a quick cleanup of some of the the stuff on the floor mats and that kind of thing. I mean, they're not they're not going to be great for detailing a whole car. No, but, but for, but for I'll, car I'll, show I'll, prep and touch ups, yeah. they're awesome. Absolutely. And then we want to thank uh, this is uh, this is TrueView, and so this is our new ready-to-use retail version. Uh, it's an amazing glass cleaner. Um, we came out with this. This was Sydney uh, pushing us. She said, "Man, this would really do good for do-it-yourselfers, or if you're going to a car show or something like that. This is a great product. Uh, this is our new labeling and so forth. Bob did a great job on the design. Uh, it's pretty cool. We really like it. So we want to thank both of them for doing that. So." All right, so Chris, you've got now. Okay, so Eddie, you didn't, you don't know this. Well, you probably do now. Uh, Chris, I told him when we were talking on on all the ramp up for this for the program that he was going to have to geek out with you on Ferraris. Okay, <coughs> is that I am a, I'm a Ferrari fan, but I don't know um, I don't know a lot about Ferraris. Uh, where Chris and you can geek out together. I mean, he, he's got a damn shirt with a Ferrari on it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I don't. I guarantee you I don't know as much as Eddie does. No, but enough. Know? Let's go in. This is going to be kind of the fun part. So, But, but you know, Eddie, I, I wanted to show off real quick a little bit. Um, I'm pulling up a picture here. Huh. So when, we were, when we were in Monterey a couple weeks ago, this is Doug Cunningham, but he and I got to go on a special little field trip while we were there and go – Go take care of one of his clients cars he's on the east coast um but his client shipped out to monterey that week it was a 1964 gto Beautiful. And 
I don't know enough. I don't have a better picture of it, unfortunately, to show you the whole car. But it was just finished. The restoration was just finished. And we were just there to tidy it up before it went to Pebble Beach. Um, and we were told not to remove the um, the black exhaust marks from the, the bottom, you know, underneath the doors. Um, the, the owner wanted to leave those there to, to give it a little bit of uh, almost patina, I guess, since it was just, it was really fresh. So he wanted it to not look quite as fresh. But, uh, but um, anyway, it was pretty cool to work on. I don't know. I was told it was one of like three or four that were like this. Um, when I when I tried to ask what the value might be, um, I wasn't given a number, but I was I, I was kind of told to expect north of fifty million dollars. Oh wow! So, okay. Um, but anyway, it it was pretty cool. That that's the most expensive car I've ever worked on. <laughs> And okay. all I did, all I did was I, I took that battery powered vacuum. I did the inside, vacuumed it out, made sure there wasn't a speck of dust on it, and I let Doug take care of the outside. So beautiful. But anyway, that was pretty cool. Yeah. But um, let me uh let me stop that real quick. Hey Doug, you'd love Doug. Doug Doug's up in the in the Hamptons, and he works on a lot of. He's like you. He's very knowledgeable, you know, in for in the Ferrari uh, arena. Yeah. He works on some amazing, uh, amazing cars uh, that are just, I mean, uh, uh, unbelievable. The value is unbelievable. The car is unbelievable. The, you know, the looks of the car is unbelievable. But, yeah, you guys you guys could totally geek out together. Yeah, yeah. So do you have, do you have a favorite Ferrari that you've worked on or just in general? Favorite? Uh, well, I, you know, favorites – you know, I, I like the art of looking at a car and see more of the actual natural hands-on workmanship, the design of a car, uh, other than just machines and robotics making stuff and things like that. So I have to show more favor towards the early cars because yeah. the early cars to me was really a true passion. You know, the guys with hammers and, you know, <laughs> and fire and making steel bend and to me, that was amazing. That's an amazing craft. And, and you know, I know it's going to sound kind of like, are you really serious? But when you look at cars like the uh, the 308, you know, that kind of like got things interesting enough to get people that are very wealthy today. And you ask them, what was your first Ferrari? They're most likely to say, oh, I had a 308. And, of course, they don't have that no more. Now they have cars that are worth millions. But it all started somewhere from there. But, you know, I started liking, like, the Dinos, the Daytonas the f40s the 288 gtos uh, the, all those cars have a unique line to it and they're just so much uh, craftsmanship the way that it was built when you look at these cars you know firsthand you look them up close and you know you see certain things done it's totally different than what i see today in modern cars and it's just amazing how they're still running which is unbelievable uh oh there there i am <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like I had just done those for Cavallino. And, you know, again, the 288, the, the F40, those are amazing cars. I mean, if you've never worked on them, it's hard to see from a picture. But, you know, when you get inside these cars or you look at the engines, you look at the undercarriages, just the way it's built, it's mind-boggling. The way that, you know, man, time was like a very advanced for itself, like like how these guys were thinking, the designers. 
and the builders uh, for such cars that are loved so much throughout the world, uh, these are icons. I mean, these cars are worth millions and millions. I mean, that F40 is worth, I mean, $3 million. That, that 288 GTO is probably about, you know, again, three and a half, four, five million dollars depends. Yep. I mean, these are cars that what's crazier is I had cars like this offered to me to sell to clients back 20 something years ago. So I had F40s going for about $320,000, $340,000, which was a lot of money, but nowhere near. And when you come to think about a 288 GTO, you would never think that that was worth even $100,000, you know, back then. You'd be like, no, that, you know, that car will never be $3 million, $4 million. Who would be thinking that? And I would tell my clients even back then, I said, hey, hold on to your F40. That car's going to be worth a lot of money someday. Or your 288, or you know, your F50. And F50 now is about $5 million. Check this out, Eddie. I got a funny story to tell you. This guy walked into our shop. This was many years ago. Came walking in, in, a, in, this is in Sun Valley, Idaho. And he comes, he pulls up in a ranch truck in an old Ford long bed. Uh, a lot of patina going on with this truck, right? There was more patina than there was paint. And uh, comes out, and he's kind of straggly looking. And starts talking cars with me. And I'm always polite to people, you know. But in the back of my mind, I am thinking, man, this guy's got, he doesn't have two pennies to rub together. And, I mean, am I wasting my time? But all of a sudden, he started talking about cars. And you could tell he knew something about cars. So we sat there for about a half an hour. We had a great discussion. And he left. And I was like, hey, that was a cool, it was a cool experience. Next day, the old ranch truck pulls back up. And he goes, hey, you want to follow me over to my old barn? I want to show you a couple cars. I might have a little bit of work to do. I said, yeah. So we're going over there and we pull up. And there's this dilapidated, you know, old wood barn sitting there. And I'm like, oh, man, what have I got myself into? We pull up. Well, then we pull up front. There's a European style pea gravel driveway that is perfectly laid out. And I went, okay, that driveway is worth more than the barn. <laughs> and then he pulls up and he opens the barn doors. And behind the barn doors is a bunker, mm. a concrete and metal bunker. And I went, uh-oh. And he opened it up. Center center pedestal. There's probably about 50 cars in there. Is an a, a, a McLaren F1 sitting in the middle. Right. To the left is an F40. To the right is an F50. Wow. And the, that was my introduction into to supercars. Yeah. I, I about fell over. I looked at her and I said, man, I'm glad I didn't judge you by the way you dress or your truck. <laughs> I started laughing. We became really good friends, and uh, he he bought my ultimate car. My ultimate car is a, a, a Porsche 959. Oh, yeah. My, 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 to this day, you know, when I see one, you know, the young me, the, the 18, 19-year-old me that when that car came out, my just my heart skips a, a beat when I see one. I mean, I just my go. Got one of those. He's in a, a couple times, and the car's in perfect shape. So that was, that was, that's my Ferrari. That was, you know, and, and I knew what an F40 was. I really hadn't been around an F50, you know, at that time. And yeah. uh, I was just blown away. And, it, you know, so last year or night 2019 roll, roll back forward. And I we're on the green at uh, our two, no, 2018, 2018. We're on the green and there's a McLaren F1 on the green at Quell. And I'm looking up, I'm, I'm, I'm walking all around this. Chris might not even heard that. And Diane comes walking up. 
And she can tell I'm emotionally attached to this car. And she goes, what's going on? I said, well, this is my first hyper car, not this very car, but this was the, the car that really got me started into, you know, doing high end cars. Right. So this lady walks up and uh, she sees us admiring it. And she goes, it's beautiful. Isn't it? And I said, yeah, it is. And she goes, it was my dream car. It was hers. Oh, wow. Her husband walks up, we start talking and I said, how long have you owned it? And she says, I've owned it for about 21 years. You know, we bought it from the original owner. Wow. It was that car. It was Carl, Carl Curtis's car that I'd worked on. It was the car that wow. launched it. It was the very, very car that I'd worked on in Idaho 20 years, over 20 years before that. Wow. Is it you know, that car's worth a lot of money now. Oh, that. Really? And the, the emotional value of it is my point is, is here as a young man, you know, I'd worked on that car. My my point is that car is still going to look like that probably after I'm dead and gone. Probably after most of us listening to this are dead and gone. Yeah. So, you know, you need to be proper with these cars. You know, right. you, you can't just jump in and do something foolish. You need to be proper. So, so what, uh, I'll, I'll go into the next one. And then Chris will go to the net that, that you go to the net. What's the most expensive Ferrari, the value? What's the most expensive one you've ever worked on? Well, your audience might just have a heart attack when I tell them this because uh, it hasn't been publicly auctioned yet because it's not in an auction from what I know. Uh, I had the pleasure of, of, uh, of working on this specific car. It goes years back. And uh, I remember the mechanic, again, talking about why I work with mechanics, because mechanics trust the detailer, because you see eye to eye and goes, hey, you know, this is a very expensive car you're about to work on, but I don't want you to just think about the price. I just want you to do what you do best. Well, how much are we talking about? He goes, well, this car can be valued $100 million. Mm. And mm. I said, what? And I said, no way. You know, people talk. And I said, I said, you know, I, I just, I, I, and then I would ask other car collectors, billionaires, people that can afford stuff. And I said, listen, have you heard of a car that can it be possible that this car is a hundred million dollars? And I was being surprised that these legitimate gentlemen, right, that wouldn't entertain the, the conversation. Say, oh no, you know, yeah, yeah, that car is a hundred. You know, they'll tell you straight out, ah, that's all baloney. Don't believe that. Now I'm getting credibility from very well-known figures. And as a matter of fact, since you asked that question, which is going to be interesting, I, I don't know if you're going to see the book. You see this book? Yeah. All right, that's the car. Oh, this, wow. you know, and I'm going to show It's on my Facebook page and other pages. Now, there you go. So that's a 275 GTBC Berlinetta Speciale, right? Well, that car was owned by Ferrari. It's a lightweight all aluminum. And Ferrari owned it and raced it in Le Mans and other races. And what people don't know what's in this book is that right where the uh, nose is, where the uh, prancing horse is, mm -hmm. they made a hole at the racetrack and then it wasn't big enough it wasn't getting enough air so then they drill another bigger hole which I'm going to show it to you on the book so you can see what I'm talking about I'll see if you can see it I don't know how close I can show you you see that yeah yep I got it 
Yeah. So wait, let me see. Let me move this. Okay. That's the original car back in the sixties. Oh, that's a big hole. That's a big hole. Now, it's amazing if you look at the top part of the where the car is. That's when it was smaller, so they had to make it larger. Now, just yesterday, uh, I was on the phone with a friend of mine who's in the car business, and uh, he was telling me about the owner. That car was owned by a very well-known person here in South Florida. He owns the uh, own. He died. Rest in peace. And uh, his name was Preston Hen. He owned the swap shop down here in Miami. I mean, not Miami, Fort Lauderdale. He has at the swap shop, which is a large flea market, he had just an area just for his exclusive cars, exotic cars, all kinds of stuff. So I was called to work on this car and uh, years ago, and I was called by the mechanic, and which, again, in this book, I had it signed. So in this book, over here, this mechanic, wait, let me see if I can put it there. This mechanic here, he was the, mas he was the master mechanic on the car. So he mm. was chief mechanic always on the car when the guy bought it. And then over here, after the, you know, they it was pre-sold. You know, Ferrari sold the car after that races and all that. Other people bought it, so he eventually picked up on the car, and then he had it, the car resprayed. So this is the painter. He signed it. He was still he's still alive. And then some other mechanics up. Let me see here up here. Uh, they're very well known here in South Florida. They're one of the best mechanics we have here, at least in this part of South Florida. Uh, his name is Tim Stanford, and then you got Al Roberts, which he is also a legend, as well as Tim. And these guys, you know, has taught me, <laughs> I can't even begin to, to explain how much stuff these guys teach me uh, about authenticity about cars. And uh, just yesterday, I was talking to someone I know, and I said, hey, man, has this car sold yet? He goes, Eddie, they've offered them 120 million and they still haven't sold it. I go, yeah. He goes, have not sold the car. And I thought this was all a bunch of, you know, it depends who you talk to. Ah, that car might be 30 million, 40 million. But the majority of the people that I speak with, which people who have a lot of credibility, they're not talking 30, 40, 50 million. They're talking over a hundred million dollars. And the owner has not even said, yeah, let's just sell the car. No, it, it, it doesn't surprise me at all. So, Chris, why don't you ask the next two? Uh, well, first of all, very cool on the history of that stuff. Um, the guys, there's been some comments here. The guys like hearing the, the, the historical stories on those cars. Um, all the cars that you've worked on, how many of them have been award winners at, at the – the concourse and stuff uh how many uh well i have you lost don't that? know the exact number but there's been over 200 300 cars uh it's cavalinos once a year and it all depends how many we enter and cavalino classic has changed a bit before they used to give out like silver awards uh, uh platinos gold and platinum so some of the clients will get silver some will get uh gold and platinum but if you figure, you know, every year I would, 
my clients would get on a table f with my clients at the award ceremony, they'd be around 10 to 15 awards, any nice awards. It could be the cup award, a uh, preservation award. It could be just about anything. And I've, I've kind of like counted over at least, at least, you know, 200, at mm. least awards, which they don't come to me. I mean, I've had the, I put a few pictures on my Facebook. I've been to my clients' homes and I've snapped some pictures. They've allowed me to. I've also, I have a, one particular guy. He's got like, I think it's, he's up to 14 platinos, which is the highest award you can get a car. I even told him to retire the car. I said, dude, you know, it's like you're a champion all the time. It's like, <laughs> how, long you, how long have you been involved in that, in, in, in that event? Like two years right after I started detailing, because wow. this has been going on for 30 years, right? So I just went to, to uh, last year's, I mean, this year's Cavalino. Uh, it was the 30th anniversary. Damn. And I was already involved. Uh, and uh, I got in at the right time because I'll, the preservation, the thing about Cavalino, just so your audience can understand, you can't show up there with modern cars. Mm -hmm. It's got to be cars at least, I believe it's within eight to 10 years old or, mm -hmm. five or after five years old, but you can't just show there and change the stem cap of your car because you want a little prancing horse on it or you want to put a Cavalino sticker on the fender. Uh, that's a point off or at least a half a point, whatever the judge discrepancy is. So there's a lot of things from that. I had to learn that way, way back then that this is not, has nothing to do with polishing the cars as much and shining them up. As a matter of fact, I learned very early on through judges and historians, they would come up to me and tell me straight out to help me, to teach me and said, don't polish this car. And I'm like, huh, You're telling me what to do? I don't get it. He goes, Eddie, listen, we're not saying it in, you know, to critique what you can do. The problem is we're seeing too many of these cars that they don't look anymore how they did 30 years ago. The paints are flat. The colors are changing. Because you get a Rosso Corsa color and, or just as an example, you start polishing a single stage paint from 30 years ago, Amen. the color starts getting a little orange. It yep. doesn't look that red no more. And then it goes from an orange peel to a flat and some guys, oh, let me wet sand, let me you know correct. They're not even in our score sheets and our scorecards. There's no such thing as swirls, holograms. That doesn't even exist there. And like I tell people, so even if it did exist, what are they going to do on a rainy day? Right. You well, you know, you, you, here's the thing that a lot of people think about. Even on a modern day, a, a brand new paint. I'm looking at a brand new paint right now. Right. There's preservation, man. You only got so much healthy paint. And, it, and, right. and especially on something that is or is going to be a classic, Right. Why would you minimize the healthy paint, the healthy clear? It I don't get it. This whole this whole correction at all costs is both. You know, okay, I'll, you might not know it. I'm an old medic also, and yeah, no, I know. we had to take we had to take an oath, didn't we? Yeah, and do no harm, and we. You don't want. You, I always, I always, I always tell people, hey man, car detailing's just like you know, running, running, running medic calls back in the day. Is that you show up and somebody's got a, a tummy ache? You don't when you get by the time you get into the hospital, you don't want their arm to be broken, you know, because you ducked them out of the gurney. You know, well, it's the same thing with detailing, man. They're coming to you to clean the car up. 
you don't want to deteriorate that paint, paint so much at all costs. I'm going to make it perfect. I'm going to, I'm going to spend, I'm going to spend 72 hours and work on Christmas Eve all the way to Christmas day. So okay. I can put that on Facebook and for some stupid reason, think that's fucking cool. And it's not by the way, but I'm going to take this paint down to nothing. Yeah. And I'm going to make it look amazing. Dude, you just ruined the chances of this car becoming a long-term paint, original paint, you know, 30, 40 years from now because that paint system is going to fail because of you. Yeah, we, we, we've actually seen because the judges will put notes on their score sheets. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what happened to the people who took care of the car after that. I mean, it must have been, like, devastating for them to get that news uh, once they got the report from the judges. But when they put a note down and said over-polished, not because it was burned. Not because it was burned. Let me get this straight. They were comparing the car's paint to another car's paint that was original. And they were telling the owner, listen, do you see here the difference? This paint, yours, is nowhere near how that car looked originally. It's not, so, it's not era correct anymore. And then what happens is people keep coming back and doing it again and again and again. And then the car looks, it, it just gets a sheen to it, a look to it, that when I see it, I know it's totally wrong. It's, and, it, it, it's like one of the Kardashians having another plastic surgery, really. At yeah. some point, they just look all hunked up, man. You right. Know? Well, those cars, you know, if you want to really keep them preserved, you got to do your homework. You got to really study them and say, should I, you know, you got to know when not to use that machine. And let me tell you, I enjoy, if anything, I enjoy still to this day doing a lot of that old fashioned handwork on cars. People, I've had detailers I've taught how to yeah. polish your car with your hand. Oh, with yeah. very basic, non aggressive products. So, yeah. look, if you see this little stuff, use this, don't use a machine, and trust me. That's not going to hurt the car. But if you're going to sit there with a machine and keep going at it, I said, you're, you're looking for trouble there. And there's a time and place for everything, you know, and we're getting to the point now with some of the values of these cars, as you mentioned, yeah. you could actually, by trying to trying to get that car's paint to perfection, you could actually be de demising, diminishing, hurting its chances of being worth more money. Yeah. And not only the paints, I've also seen, Engine base demolished. People use uh, uh, engine cleaners and all that stuff, and then they etch the the wrinkle paints. They etch the cadmium plating. The, they yeah. they go and they start etching the uh, you know the uh, the the uprights, the uh, the calipers, all this stuff. The control arms, and there another thing is there's a lot of markings on these old cars, and you got to keep an eye on all that. And you know you, you want to take that off. And using the wrong chemicals will just create a big, big problem. And, and putting the wrong chemicals on a car like that can also become very problematic to especially if a car that's going to be painted later on for whatever reason, and you've got something on that paint that shouldn't be on that paint, and then the painter says, hey, man, what okay. happened? What yeah. did they put on this paint? You know, we weren't planning on sanding more than what we needed to and you know now it seems like we have a problem so there's a so, lot to learn 
So, Chris, I'm, I'm interested. I'm going to let you ask this last question related to cars, and then I've got one more for him. <laughs> you know, I, I, want, I want you to ask this one. Well, you were, you were talking about um, – you just mentioned paints, and I heard you bring up uh, Rosa Corsa Red. So, uh, you have a favorite Ferrari color. Um, is it Rosa Corsa Red, and do you have one other than that? Well, it's – somebody that would see it would call it red. Even though I have a couple colors I like, uh, but there, there's one that came out that a client of mine put a, on his La Ferrari, and uh, it, it, it was a car, a color uh, called uh, Alfa Competizione Rosa. So in other words, the color is not quite red, but it, it's hard to. I have it on one of my Facebook pages, uh, and it's even hard then to pick up on it. it, it it's it's a toned down red, but it's got like a candy look to it, but it's not mm. really red. And mm. it was an interesting color because uh, that color is just beautiful. When you see it in person, it's like, oh my goodness, this is not red. This is something else. What is this? And uh, they had to get permission from, Ferra uh, from Alfa Romeo uh, uh, to, to get that color on that car and a couple other cars. It was very interesting. And then a few other cars eventually started rolling down that people like that color. Uh, Competizione, Alpha Competizione, very nice color, beautiful color. But other than that, I, I really like some cars in the yellow colors, uh, which look very unique. And some, like Enzo's, I think, and Dino's, look very unique. And then uh, um, I, I, black colors, they're okay in some old, old, cars like the 330s and stuff like that uh you know very old classy cars i think they look very 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 nice i worked on one that belonged to frank sinatra uh his daughter uh nancy sinatra and uh they had a beautiful one and it was all black with beautiful tan interior and uh i was like wow you know this car just looks so freaking elegant just the black on it and uh so i don't know you know red is always the same thing over and over and over but uh, they, they've been able to tweak some of the colors along the way. And it's not just that red we're always seeing, but that Alpha Competizione color is very, very unique. Not every car out there, and it's very expensive. I mean, the guy told me what he paid for that paint job from Ferrari, and I was like, what? <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of red and yellow on the vintage cars. I have to say, though, on, on modern Ferraris, yeah, stop me in my tracks when I see a blue one. You yeah, know, there's some interesting blue ones. I from back then, there's some that are super awesome. I mean, there's so many old vintage cars with very unique colors. I can't remember the colors right now, but man, they're just drop dead gorgeous. And you see these kind of colors when you go to an event like Cavallino, and you go, "Wow, I didn't know this car was available back then." And you look at this color, and it blows you away. Some of these, wow, this existed back then. This color? Yeah, it did. It, you know, it's just that nowadays, you know, people have, I guess, more modernization. They can make the paints look a lot better and all that. Uh, back then, it was lacquer. Yeah. And, and, or glazerate or sachi and things like that. So, or glidden, stuff like that. And uh, you, you never got to really see some of the lacquer finishes, what they truly look like, because they were hard to keep up with. Many other cars that I've worked on, you rarely see a lacquer finish that is still in pristine condition. It's very rare. There's, it's cracking everywhere. Even though I have a client that owns an original, 
lacquer finish on a car, and it belonged to Mario Andretti. And it's a 308, and it's a really cool-looking car, and the owner decided to leave it all cracked, all the paint on it. And the paint's not falling off, but it's, it's, it's just interesting. That's what the paint would do. Yeah. And Pretty cool, though. You no, know, yeah, keep it original, you know? So yeah. we just wipe the car, and you're done. You know, you, you don't have to do much. So, hey, real quick. So, so you know, we got a wide range of people listening to us. So we'll yeah. just one, one, one small piece of advice that you'd like to give people, no matter if they're brand new, uh, you know, in business or if they're more seasoned. What would that, that piece of advice be? Man, I believe honesty is the – you got to be honest with people. I mean, period. Keep it real. Uh, you know, you could probably get away with – being dishonest, selling people what they really don't need. I'm not a believer in that. I don't have a problem whatsoever if in a month I've turned away 10 or 15 cars. I don't have a problem with that. Why? Because I don't believe that that car needed what the person thought he needed. And not too long ago, I had a car where a gentleman with a Porsche just bought the car. And he said, and this has to do with the honesty. I, I, I started prepping the car and I realized right away, I said, I think this car has ceramic coating on it. The car looked good. The car was just, I was doing some tests to kind of like rule out, is it coated or not? And the car was in such pristine condition. And the guy was already talking to me prior. I want to do a paint correction. I want to do this. I couldn't even find swirls on the car. You know, I was there looking and everything. And I'm saying, sir, let's look at this car for what it is. I go, you bought an amazing car. You just bought an amazing car, and you're very fortunate to have me here to tell you the truth. You don't need a paint correction on this car, and less alone do you need any ceramic. He thought it needed ceramic coating because he heard about it. And I said, the most this car needs is a, a, a basic car wash and a slap-on of a, you know, your favorite uh, sealant or whatever, or you know, just a maintenance spray or whatever, just to keep it. I go, what I would do is find out and this is interesting. When they sold you the car, can you find out from the previous owner if the car was coated? I would like for you to do that because that's important because that way you can match up the uh, maintenance spray from the company that did the ceramic coating. Oh, I'll do that. So he got on the phone the same day I left. He calls me back the next day and he goes, man, I'm glad you told me that. They actually are going to send me an email of the company that did the ceramic coating on it. That's cool. Yeah, it's and good. It's what to use. So I could have been there just trying to make money, right? I said, oh, yeah, sure, let's do a paint correction. You know, I gained a client. I gained this trust. And guess what? That's how I run my business, just being honest and just, you know what? I always know that the good Lord always takes care of me one way or another. I don't have to be, like, fishing in other ponds. Uh, there's a verse that I always use from the beginning. Uh, I remember when I first started it was a Proverbs verse, 12, 14. It says, uh, uh, delight. I mean, I was, uh, wait, now I forgot because my head is going hundred miles an hour. It was, uh, well, there was one that said, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And, uh, Proverbs 12, 14 says from the fruit of his lips, a man is filled with good things as surely as the work of his hands rewards him. Mm -hmm. And I always kept that in the dashboard of my car. And I would read it every single day, every single day. Don't worry, you're, you know, just delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And I was always constantly just doing 
honest work. Got to be and, honest. It's going to catch up with you. You don't. So, hey, buddy, love, how, do, how do people connect with you on uh, on social media? How do they how do they find you on social media? Well, for those who might not know, obviously, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Uh, things like that. Uh, that's usually I got a couple pages on Facebook, business page, personal page, and then Instagram. Things yeah. like that. So, right. well, hey, I want to take and uh, I want to thank you uh, for coming. Thank you. We, something that we really wanted. Uh, we want to thank you. We want to thank uh, PNS Double Black uh, for making this happen. Flex. Uh, we're going to be highlighting some of their tools too. Uh, and then make sure to like, uh, like, make a comment, and subscribe below, and uh, also send us your feedback on what you thought about this. Now, I've got a I've got a departing statement that I want to make real quick. Just a little something is that um, I'm going to ask anybody of faith um, is is uh, you got to keep our country in prayer. I don't think a lot of people realize, you know, the situation we're in, and it's it's pretty dire, if you ask me. Uh, if you're not a person of faith, we need a lot of warm thoughts. But more so right now, between the prayers, remember that the power we gave to our representatives, that we gave it to them. They are not our leaders. They're our representatives. And we need to hold them accountable. And you need to put your damn phone down. You need to stop ordering cheap shit. You need to start uh, taking and, and, and backing up American-made products. And you need to make careful of who you vote and who you put into office. Because you know what? We can sit there and bitch, but we keep putting the same damn people in there. And we need to get them out. We need to hold up people accountable because we're in deep shit. We're in deep trouble. And people don't realize it. What's gone down in the last two weeks is completely unacceptable in this country. And until all you guys put your damn phone down and watch what's going on and make a decision to remove and you know, people from power that are doing this crap is going to continue to happen. Also, I think it's really, I'm going, to, I'm going to lay it out like this. It's time for us to get involved in local government is that we need to pay, take and put bitter people in there, hold them accountable. And especially at our school boards is that if we don't balance this thing out and we, our country is based off of balance. This isn't a Republican or a Democrat thing. This isn't a right or a left. This isn't a liberal or conservative. This is about the health of our damn country and where it's going and it's in trouble. She's in trouble. And so with that, Eddie, thanks for coming in. Chris, always a pleasure. Yeah, um, thank, thank you, Eddie. It was it was fun to chat about uh, Ferraris and, and really getting into that niche yeah. with you. It was. Thank you for having me. Well, hey, next time I'm down in Florida, buddy, you want to hang out? Let's go hang out. We'd love to see, uh, love to see your, skinny ass, your skinny ass again. <laughs> All right, buddy. You take care, okay? Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody. Take care of yourselves. Bye -bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.